to another episode of the Best of All Possible Podcast. I am your host, Robert Weathers, and we here at Panglossian Productions in Williamsburg, Virginia, have a love for the weird. We love the unproduced and underproduced, and you know we love 10-minute plays. And over the course of our existence here in Williamsburg, Virginia, we've had so many 10-minute plays uh, submitted to us for consideration, we can't possibly do them all. So we are here to bring one to you tonight on a cold read with our very talented actors, not the least of which is our very special guest, Mr. Stephen Christophe. So this is the second time you've been on the show. Yes, yes it is. How was your first experience? It was, um, it was great. It was fun. Oh, yeah, good. It was fun. The host was amazing. Oh, he was. Uh, you're right. Uh, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, Stephen, tonight we're going to read a play called Not Dead, Just Sleeping by Roy Proctor. And I'm going to ask you a question that is tangentially related to the play. Are you ready for it? Uh, yes. All right. Stephen, this is not meant to be a deep and sad question, just so you know. Okay. What do you think is going to be on your tombstone? Uh, moss. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I hope, I hope, um, oh, I don't know, little, uh, I don't know, toys, uh, an inscription, maybe? Uh-huh. An inscription of some sort? That's um, what I'm really getting at. Right? Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, but, but what, what would it say? Um, it would, um, be sleeping. I don't know. I can't think of anything. That's so yes, appropriate. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we're glad to have you here Thank tonight, you. Stephen. And here uh, in the play Not Dead, Just Sleeping, once again by Roy Proctor, there are three characters, so we have two other actors who are joining you here tonight. And to my left, we have joining us returning guest Amy Lyles. Welcome, hey. Amy. Hey. What, what do you think is going to be on your tombstone? What's the inscription going to say? Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, something really witty, I'd like to think, but um, I'm not so witty as to come up with it quickly, apparently. That's what's going to be on there. Wanted something witty, but couldn't think of it in time. <laughs> you know, enough, that would be appropriate for me, so, you know. I, I, was, uh, I was thinking about this question earlier, and I knew you were going to be part of this play, and I was just going to put, I, my suggestion was going to be, God help her, she tried. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I like that, actually, and it's not that in, in, inappropriate, yeah. Not that inappropriate. <laughs> and also joining us is returning guest once uh, another second time. We have Kim Bernal. Welcome, Kim. Hey. Any thoughts about what might be on the old tombstone? On my tombstone, I would like she did great things for wieners. <laughs> such a I'm so sad we can't get into that. No, no, no. <laughs> That's great. We'll always make time for wieners. It's <laughs> Can you tell me more about this? Yes, I volunteer for a dachshund rescue program. Oh, wow. Wow, I was shocked. Well, it's not the only reason. We here at Panglossian Productions have a mascot, and you know him. Yes, I do. His name is Sheldon, and he's a very nice wiener, too. He's adorable. Aren't Sheldon? Well, he's nowhere to be found. That's all right. He's hiding. Well, I want to welcome all of you here tonight to read Not Dead, Just Sleeping by Roy Proctor. I want to point out a couple of things here. Uh, one is that he gives us a, a very nice gift on the front page of this script, uh, and I'm just going to read it to you now. Public Domain. The hymn Rock of Ages, which is used in either a vocal or an instrumental version near the end of this play, was written by Augustus Montague Toplady, 
awesome name, Top Lady, <laughs> in 1783 and has been published countless times since then. It is in the public domain. God bless you, Roy Proctor, for choosing a song in the public domain. <laughs> Secondly, I want to uh, say to Mr. Proctor, hey, you're just up there in Richmond, Virginia, not too far from us. Yeah. Come on down to Waynesburg hey. and see us sometime. We'd love to have you. Yeah. <laughs> So ladies and gentlemen, uh, this play is unknown to the actors who are sitting in front of it right now. They only know the characters that they're going to play, and that's just because I posted it on Facebook yesterday. Other than that, they've never read the play before, they don't know what it's about, so I am going to give them their characters now, just for the edification of the listener. Uh, Kim, would you be so kind as to play Cora Briggs? Sure. Stephen, would you please play uh, Jeremiah Greer? Okay. Amy, will you please play Louise? Absolutely. I am going to read the stage directions. Ladies and gentlemen, Not Dead, Just Sleeping, a short serial comedy by Roy Proctor. Where? A soft May afternoon on Cora Briggs's shaded back porch in Mimosaville, a midtown, uh, uh, excuse me, a mill town in Piedmont, North Carolina. The characters are Cora Briggs, 76, recently widowed. She wears an afternoon dress and sensible shoes. Jeremiah Greer, 20s, a tombstone salesman. He wears an ill-fitting suit and a tie. Louise, 40s or 50s, Cora's daughter, divorced long ago, now selling better dresses in a Mimosaville department store and hating every demeaning minute of it. She wears a better dress. The setting. The essential parts are center stage, three rocking chairs, all within arm's reach of a small beverage or coffee table. Optional is other scenery and furnishings to represent Cora's back porch in greater detail. At Rise, Cora, in her rocking chair, right, is leafing through a large loose-leaf binder full of photographs of grave markers on her lap. Jeremiah, in his rocking chair center, leans across to help Cora turn the pages. A picture of sweet iced tea with ice and lemon wedges and two half-filled glasses are, nearby, on, an, are on a nearby table. They are cheap. No, ma'am, eternity isn't cheap, but then consider the alternative. At Rock Rocks of Ages, we think of each monument a long-term investment in the joy of sitting at the feet of our Lord and Savior. Mr. Briggs, he used to say thrift was his middle name. What would he think? Uh, he'd think you just, you just bought a one, a one-way express ticket to join him someday inside the pearly gates. Now that's a fact. Mama, I'm home. Louise is off stage. We're on the back porch, Louise. I have a nice young man here I want you to meet. I'm dead tired, Mama. All the more reason you should come out here and pour yourself a refreshing glass of tea and meet this nice Christian man. Just a minute, Mama. Louise sells better dresses at Barberini's. She's on her feet all day long. Now, isn't that a fact, Louise? Isn't what a fact, Mama? Eternity ain't cheap. I don't know what on earth you're talking about. Louise, this nice young man is Mr. Isaiah Greer from the Rocks of Ages Company. How do you do? Mighty fine, thank you. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, not, not Isaiah, ma'am. Uh, uh, same good book, just a different prophet. Mr. Briggs and I never could keep all those prophets straight. That's all right, ma'am. The good Lord knows you try. We, sh we, we sure were worried to hear about your daddy, ma'am. He was sick for a long time. Now, if y'all will please excuse me. Louise, you got plenty of time to soak later. Now, you just sit right down here. Mama, I told you I'm exhausted. Well, if you're so tired, you should sit down. 
just for five minutes. We've got the very important business of selecting the stones for me and your daddy to attend to. Louise is sinking into the rocking chair in temporary defeat. Well, just for a minute. We're going to help this young man out. He's got five children, and he's working his way through Bible college so he can be a preacher. Isn't that right, Mr. Greer? I got the call, ma'am. <laughs> to breed like rabbits? Louise, <laughs> what a thing to say. No, ma'am, my God-fearing wife and I are, tr are fruitful and multiplying. Well, that's mighty fine, I do declare. Selling grave markers and studying to preach kind of go together, don't they? Yes, ma'am. You ladies know the company motto, don't you? Mm, how's that? Rocks of ages, made by God to last forever. Inspiring, isn't it? Right, pretty. The Blue Hill Trio sang that hymn at Mr. Briggs' funeral. Downright morbid, if you ask me. Well, nobody's asking you, Louise. Uh, uh, sorry, Jeremiah is pulling a couple of cardboard fans on wooden sticks out of his briefcase. Take, take, uh, take one, ma'am. It's uh, where, what? Oh, right there. Oh, here's our right. motto, right, right here on this complimentary fan. He hands her the fan. Take one, ma'am. It's printed in nice big letters on the bottom, so all our windows can read, all our widows can read it. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, I can't accept this. Uh, please do, ma'am. It's free. Uh, uh, here's one for you, ma'am. No, thank you. Oh, go ahead and take it, Louise. Just the thing to cool off in your bubble bath. Ma'am, it has a real pretty color picture of Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, you don't see a fan picture in that every day. It's free, ma'am. I said no. Louise, if you don't want to fan with Lazarus, you can always punch a few holes and use it as a fly swatter. <laughs> <laughs> then you take this one too, ma'am. Give it to a hot and lonely friend. <laughs> Christian martyr for sure. Uh, look, Mrs. Briggs, you're a practical lady. How would you like to save some real money? How's that? Simple, ma'am. Seeing as it'll just just be uh, it'll be just you and Miss uh, Mr. Briggs in the plot. Don't forget Louise. Do forget Louise. I'm gonna be buried next to my husband. You gotta catch another one first. Mama. <laughs> Three graves in that plot already. My three children that passed in childbirth, all marked by the little lamb of God's stones. Mr. Briggs used to say that when he passed, he'd be their shepherd. Well, isn't that touching? No, it's idiotic. <laughs> now I can go and be their shepherdess. Don't pay any mind to Louise, young man. Louise is in love. Mama, that is none of his business. Well, how else can a body account for a grown woman sitting there in a rocker and refusing to rock? <laughs> well... Like I was about to say, since it's just you and Mr. Br Mr. Briggs and the three lambs, at least for now, why don't you go ahead and order a headstone and the two footstones for you and Mr. Briggs? We can set both headstones or footstones in place fully carved except for the date of your passing. Oh, God, that is so morbid. And what's so terrible about that? You've got a tombstone and you ain't even dead yet. Like I said, young man, you've got to make allowances for Louise. Oh, please. Louise has a right steady bow. Now about these stones, how much would I save over the list price? We're prepared to give you as a preferred patron 10% off the headstone. 10%, you don't say? I do say, ma'am. 
And if you don't tell anybody, we can knock uh, 5% off the mansion footstones, too. You hear that, Louise? All I hear, Mama, is you making a fool of yourself. Of course, ma'am, if you don't want people to know how old you are, then we can engrave your birth date after your passing as well. I don't care who knows. I'm 76 and proud of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't sweet Jesus raising Louise from the dead. Mama, you can do all of this without me. How much will I save? Well, lots of folks do it, ma'am. What if Mama gets married again? Fat chance of that. Um, like I was saying, lots of folks do it. When a loved one passes on to nestle in the bosom of the Lord, it gives older people such a feeling of security to know that everything's been taken care of. So how much will I save? Salesman's beginning to thumb through the album. Plenty, ma'am. Ten percent off any price listed in for our celestial harp and heavenly angel groups. Ten percent? You don't say. You heard that, Louise. Ten percent. Mr. Briggs always did say that we couldn't afford to sneeze at anything over four percent. And I'm not getting any richer. That's a fact. Ten percent? My word. I still think it's morbid, Mama. Worse than those folks who put up family graveyards in their yard for Halloween. Well, I don't think it's morbid at all. Young man, do you think it's morbid? I wouldn't be peddling monuments if I did. Don't worry, Louise. Your name won't be on it. You will excuse me. She stands up and begins exiting right. Oh, my. Ten percent, you say? Yes, ma'am. I'll tell Mr. Briggs tonight that I will. Yes, ma'am. One more thing. Yes, ma'am? Can the headstone say, not dead, just sleeping? Only for you, Mrs. Briggs. Right across the bottom. The hymn Rock of Ages can be heard as the lights fade to black. There is a coda. Uh, lights rise on Mrs. Briggs, leaning on her cane, down center. She's contemplating the newly installed headstone and footstones, although no stones can be seen. A stone bench is beside her. Mr. Briggs, you awake? The days are getting shorter now, but your roses are still in bloom. Mr. Briggs, Louise wants me, she wants me to move to Sunset Haven, get rid of our layers, give up your roses. Louise says it's not safe in our house, not even since Ellabelle moved in and when Louise got married and moved out. Not safe in our house, she says. But you know as well as I do, Mr. Briggs, once you get in Sunset Haven, you never get out. I told Louise that this afternoon and she got madder than a wet hen. She dashed in the door, saying like she always does, that she could only stay a minute. Some minute. She threw so many leaflets on the kitchen table, you couldn't even see the table. Well, I raked all those leaflets right off the table and into the garbage can. She stormed out, shouting that she should have had me committed. And I yelled back that I was committed to you. I know you don't like to hear the Louise and me fussing, but what could I do? Now you be the judge, Mr. Briggs. Ella Bell and me had a good garden. Roasting ears clear through September, enough fresh tomatoes and beans and squash to feed all Thurston Street. We put up enough fig preserves and Brunswick stew to last the winter through. The persimmons are hanging heavy, Mr. Briggs. The hens are laying good. Lights fade to black. End of play. <laughs> all right. Lovely read, guys. I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, 
Uh, now we're going to move on to the part of the show where we discuss the play that we just read. And so I want to start with your first impressions of the play. And Stephen, you are our very special guest. What are your first impressions of the play? Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, I thought it was a good play, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what about what about your character? Did you, did you like your character? Um, yeah, he reminds me of some some relatives I have. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right about yes, that. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Where are you from, Stephen? Ohio. You're from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't think that really matters. You know, I no. think I think in a lot of ways rural is rural. You know, be it North Carolina or Ohio or you know even rural Oregon. You know, well they they said roasting ears and that they say roasting ears in Ohio. Do they instead of corn corn on the cob? Yeah. Oh, there you go. What do you know? What about you, Amy? What do you think? Uh, first impressions. I thought it was an interesting play. I think it's fairly well written. I think mm-hmm. it flowed well. Um, it was easy to read. I got right into that character. Yeah, everybody <laughs> seemed to fall straight on into that, didn't they? Yeah. Would you agree with that, Kim? Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I couldn't help but think about the old Mama's Family TV show. A little bit of that. <laughs> it just had overtones of that as, yeah. as yeah. sarcastic and funny, but I yeah. felt a little bit of that, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ella, Ella Bella's yeah. uh, <laughs> Iola yeah, coming, yeah. coming over. Iola, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, that's right. So, um, the playwright in the beginning of this play, this is this is a um, a picture question. Uh, the playwright lists in the beginning of the play that rocking chairs are essential to this, given the nature of it uh, and where it takes place. You know, I, I don't mean just North Carolina. I mean specifically where it takes place on the back of her porch. Do you think that these chairs are essential? I, re- I say the word essential because that's the word the author uses. Um, but do you think that these are essential chairs? I have to say no. I think they're helpful. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to the rhythm of rocking and that feel that goes with the dialogue. But sure. if they weren't there, I still think you get the story. I don't mm-hmm. think you have to have a rocking chair to get this story across. Any thoughts on that, Kim? I, I agree with what she said. And I think that if you did have the rocking chairs, that could really help with the pacing with the rhythm, like she said. Um, but I agree. I don't think that they're absolutely essential. I think that the, the heart of the play is still there. Yeah, I, th- I think that you're right, that the, the, the rhythm uh, of rocking in a chair would really uh, take over the overall rhythm of the show. And there is a particular rhythm to rocking in a chair, right? Especially right. on a boarded porch. Yeah. <laughs> rump, 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 and not rump. only does it relax people rocking, but actually people watching them rock. Rocking, rocking the chair. It makes, yeah. it makes for a laid-back environment. I well, think everybody picks up the same rhythm right, too. There would right. be no individuality. You'd all just kind of match because you do. You can't help it. You just you do. You pick up each other's rhythm. Is that so, is that something that's perhaps not universal, but perhaps you know Americanly universal? Do you think rocking chairs? Maybe on the continent. That's an interesting story because I don't think I've seen them a whole lot of other places. Now that you say mm. that, huh. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either, but. I, th- I think I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, does the dialogue read, it's set in Carolina, uh, in North Carolina, does the dialogue read as Southern to you? Yes. 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 I, I should note for the listener who's not looking at the play that it's not written in a Southern dialect, no. um, but it seems to just ping that way. Yeah. Uh, I noticed there are, there are a, a, a few aren'ts in here that immediately became ain'ts. I did it. Uh, right away, you know, uh, Amy definitely did that I definitely point. did. I looked down like, yeah. oops, that's not what's written. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts about what attributes to that? Is it just that you knew it was a Carolina? Or what do you think? I think there's definitely a, a writing style that sort right. of leads mm-hmm. you to it, even though the words aren't necessarily written that way. It, it, it feels that way. And the names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. much. Jeremiah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Jeremiah, Francis, yeah. Louise, that's, that's, <laughs> sure. that's Mrs. Briggs, you know, yeah. very Southern. Yeah. Uh, so I want to ask y'all, uh, this is the first play I think that we have done on this podcast that has a coda. And yeah. I want to ask you, do you think, I'm going to start with you, Kim, do you think that this coda was effective? And uh, what do you think, whether, whether your answer is yes or no, what do you think the play was trying to do? With this short, brief sort of conversation between uh, Cora and Mr. Briggs. Well, I think that the coda is very effective. I mean, she has a nice little monologue that really kind of gives you some more insight into Mr. Briggs and their mm -hmm. relationship. And I think that it just ties everything together very neatly at the end. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something, too, that's universal in, in talking to somebody who's gone. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I think everybody understands that in one way, in one way or another. What, what do you think, Stephen? Was it effective for you? Uh, yeah, it was surprising, too. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought it was an effective technique, yeah. Anybody have particular thoughts on what he was trying to accomplish, the playwright was trying to accomplish with Dakota? I think that uh, Kim made a point in, in it that, uh, that it gives more insight into the relationship between Mr. and Mrs. Briggs. It also does give, it also gives us some, uh, a little bit of denouement in the storyline because Elabelle uh, yeah, Elabel has, has moved in because she's helping with the garden and all that. And she says in the play that she plans to if Louise ever moves out. And so she does because she's married. Uh-huh. It also, I think, gives a lot of insight into the true relationship between Louise and her mother. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't get nearly as dark a relationship until Dakota, really, where she's trying to push her out into a, a home mm -hmm. that she's not ready to go to, but because she feels it's yeah. necessary, whether right or wrong, you know, you don't know, but that definitely adds a whole other layer there that I didn't get in the first part of the play. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us to read uh, the play, this play here today. Let's make sure that we thank Roy Proctor for not dead, just sleeping. <laughs> Roy, hop on 64 and come on down and see us sometime. <laughs> Want to make sure we thank Lauren Watkins and Zodiac Productions as well. Thank, thank you very much, Lauren. And we want to thank our special guest, special guest Stephen Kristoff, who, who is here to promote, let's not forget, Ripcore yes. by... Oh, I forgot the author's David name. Lindsay Abair. David Lindsay Abair, thank you. And which will open on March 30th. By the time you listen to this... It will have already opened, but you will still be able to catch this weekend's performances April 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, they, that is at Williamsburg Regional Library on Scotland Street, close to the College of William and Mary. The tickets are $16 if you buy them online through panglossian.org or $18 at the door. And for you students out there, we have a $10 student ticket with your ID at the door. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button so you get a brand new play every week at 12.01 a.m. on Monday. And follow us on Facebook under Best of All Possible Podcast. Thanks for listening. Everybody have a good night. Bye-bye.